Bruce, how's your garden going this summer? Uh, it's going really well. It's actually come back here recently because of all the rains we've had. I planted two new things this year, Brian. I planted uh, ground cherries and I pl- planted Brussels sprouts. And they're both very Ooh. interesting and different than things I've planted So the, the Brussels sprouts come in yet? I had my first ones this week. And, and how do you, pre- you prepare those little bacon maybe? I roasted them with a little maple syrup and olive oil and salt and pepper. They were awesome. Nice. Well, I'm hoping you'll bring in some peppers for us again. Yeah. Well, Bruce, are you ready to get going? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. This is Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Rudin. And as you just heard, that's Bruce Compton. Bruce is our Senior Director for Global Health for the Catholic Health Association. Uh, In this episode, actually, this is going to be a two-part episode. We're going to talk about the Catholic response for Ukraine. And joining us in just a few minutes is going to be Monsignor Robert Vitillo, and I'll introduce him formally in a moment. Uh, But Bruce, to kind of kick us off, um, let's kind of start big picture. Um, You, your job, obviously, the the title of Senior Director for Global Health, um, you do a lot with our members in uh, responding to all sorts of um, health needs around the world. And we have members who are really committed to this work. Can you tell us you know, kind of what's the typical role for uh, CHA and, and Catholic Health here in the U.S. overall when we, we respond to humanitarian crises? Yes, yeah, sure, Brian. Thanks. Um, I think CHA's role is really to help provide our members with information and resources and to bring them opportunities where they can respond when they want to respond. Uh, and, and our members... Um, you know, they really have several uh, different ways that they respond to humanitarian crisis. Early on, it's often through cash donations to organizations that are uh, immediately responding to a disaster or humanitarian event. Uh, later, it may be that they're providing in-kind donations uh, for uh, the recovery and rebuilding part of the of an emergency. And when it comes to Ukraine, uh, what are you hearing from our members in, in, in their maybe desire to respond or what is practical in their response? Well, the response was amazing um, early on. Several of our members stepped up and had uh, either made financial donations from the system and allowed their employees to make donations. Some had matching donations. Others really wanted to try and help provide assistance And so we actually worked with one member uh, to make connections through some of our connections uh, that we've had uh, through one of our other uh, member associations, really through the military, and helped connect them to a rescue organization in Poland. And they were able to provide funding to this rescue organization in Poland so that they could directly buy the medical equipment and supplies from their vendors and support the local economy and support those local doctors and didn't have to wait for logistics and so forth from the United States. And the Ukraine response might be a little different. We've talked about this, is that um, there is sort of infrastructure in place in Western Europe. Obviously, it's a lot easier to take a truckload of supplies from Germany or Poland than it would be to you know send a shipping container either by a cargo plane or ship from the U.S. So has that changed a little bit in the dynamic and the response to this? It really has uh, affected the dynamic and the way we respond. I mean, the expectations are, are very different. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there are markets that are open. And we've hosted a couple of networking calls so that our members and partners on the ground could, could come to uh, and hear about this. And in one of those calls... 
uh, one of the partner organizations, Catholic Relief Services, showed a, a chart of how they'd been using pharmacies across Ukraine uh, during the during the actual event, during the war. They were actually just purchasing and using their logistics and, again, supporting that local economy. Quite different than what's often available in a, a, a low-income country. And you've been, yeah, you mentioned the, the networking calls, and obviously there is a lot of uh, particularly Catholic partners that are on the ground and working. And can you tell us a little bit about the work and collaboration you've been doing with, uh, I think you mentioned Catholic Relief Services, but there's many other organizations. Yeah, on those networking calls, we try, again, we try and do what we're here to do, which is to bring that information and to make the connections and do the networking. Uh Monsignor Vitillo from International Catholic Migration Commission, Jesuit Refugee Services, Catholic Relief Services, um, and Caritas Internationalis uh, from Rome all joined those calls to provide updates and to um, allow our members to hear what, the, what was needed and how they might be able to assist. Right. Since you mentioned uh, Monsignor Vitillo, let's go ahead and introduce him and bring him into the conversation. Uh, again, we have on the phone calling in uh, Monsignor Robert Vitillo. He is the Secretary General of the International Catholic Migration Commission. Monsignor Vitillo has served in various high-level functions in Catholic charitable agencies, including Caritas International and the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. Hello, Monsignor Vitillo. How are you? Doing very well. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. You were calling in from Geneva? Correct. So first of all, I, I guess tell us a little bit about, the, about your commission. Uh, what's what's your mandate? Uh, what What's the work you're doing? The International Catholic Migration Commission was founded uh, 70 years ago by Pope Pius XII at a time when there were many, many refugee situations in, in Europe uh, as a result of the Second World War. Uh, he founded us as a global Catholic organization to network with uh, Catholic bishops and uh, and dioceses and also with other organizations, including religious orders uh, that were responding to refugee and migration situations. Uh, we've been doing that ever since. Uh, we Our members are the uh, bishops' conferences throughout the world. Uh, and also, uh, we have partnerships with uh, uh, with religious orders and with other uh, uh, Catholic-inspired organizations that serve refugees and migrants. Um, we also have uh, our own direct operational activities in some parts of the world, and that changes depending on where the big uh, migration emergencies are occurring. Uh, and uh, there, we do uh, resettlement facilitation. Uh, so one of our biggest problem programs ever was... Uh, to resettle uh, with the United States, uh, uh, 500,000 Vietnamese, uh, Cambodian, and Laotian refugees after the uh, the Southeast Asian wars. Uh, right now, uh, most of those activities for resettlement are in the Middle East, uh, and we do uh, processing uh, to the United States and also to Europe, uh, mainly of Syrian and Iraqi refugees, but many other refugees that happen to be in Turkey or in Lebanon right now. Uh, we also have humanitarian humanitarian assistance programs. And uh, then we also deploy experts to work with the you know, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees to help them uh, uh, consider the asylum claim, uh, claims that the refugees present and, and help to know whether they, uh, they need international protection uh, being classified as refugees. Finally, we do a lot of global advocacy on uh, refugee and migration issues. 
And the Ukraine humanitarian crisis, I do want to mention that one of the reasons we're having this conversation is we're now six plus months uh, into the war. And as typical with media coverage, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, And it, it seems to me that you know, the amount of attention may be fading a little bit. And so can you talk a little bit about the role of the commission as it relates to Ukraine and and kind of what the overall, uh, remind, I guess, our listeners, uh, this is still, you know, a a major humanitarian crisis, uh, the scope of which I think many of us in the United States uh, who don't have, you know, for example, friends, family living there and, and, you know, are in close contact with folks may lose sight of. So, you know, a little bit about the commission and and maybe a kind of a a broad view of, of what's happening six months into this conflict. Yes, uh, sure. Well, first of all, our own role as ICMC, International Catholic Migration Commission, uh, came about uh, after the Vatican Office for Refugees and Migrants convened the major global Catholic organizations that were responding to Ukraine, including our own, but also uh, Caritas, which is the uh, the Global Confederation of Catholic Charities Organizations, Jesuit Refugee Services, the Sovereign Order of Malta, the Knights of Malta, uh, as well as uh, uh, the, the bishops' conference structures in Europe uh, to uh, share what we were doing in response to uh, the situation in Ukraine. And this happened about two weeks after Ukraine was, uh, was once again invaded by, uh, by Russia. Uh, we shared our information, and then out of that meeting, there was a decision to form a working group uh, called the Catholic Response for Ukraine. And my own organization was asked to convene this working group, and so we've been doing that ever since. Uh, for our organization, we prepare weekly briefings on uh, the response to Ukraine by UN agencies, as well as uh, Catholic-inspired and other organizations uh, working there and in the neighboring countries where so many of the refugees have sought uh, asylum. Uh, we also are involved in um, um, in uh, trying to facilitate contacts and to identify gaps uh, among us so that we could then decide how we could respond to the the, the gaps that there are. And, and uh, an ongoing gap has been in responding to the mental health and the, uh, the trauma uh, reactions of so many people in Ukraine, and especially those that are at the front lines and whose homes have been destroyed have had to leave their homes either to be displaced in uh, in Ukraine. About six million people have been displaced in Ukraine. And then also to uh, another five or six million have sought refuge in surrounding countries and even uh, some countries far, uh, far away. So how to respond to their mental health needs and how to especially make sure that we're protecting the most vulnerable people, the older people, the children. Um, And then uh, we also are involved in trying to look uh, toward the future. What what happens um, uh, when when peace comes? Uh, There's a great deal of uh, rehabilitation that's going to be necessary. So many places have been destroyed, homes, uh, churches, schools, and others. Uh, So how do we want to be responding at that time as well? Certainly, health needs have been uh, very much uh, uh, within our concern, and it's been really very helpful to uh, work with Catholic Health Association uh, and their member organizations to see what kind of work they're doing and also to bring up some new needs that we're finding uh, related to health uh, in Ukraine and to ask uh, the member organizations in CHA to, to respond uh, with, uh, to those needs as well. Yeah, six million people displaced. I mean, that is just 
uh, mind-boggling. And you and you highlighted, and I think this is important because, again, I'm not sure we we have a much much as much attention as needed paid to. I would imagine pro, post-traumatic stress disorders and other mental health conditions. What is the capacity, for example, in in Western Europe among health professionals to address millions of people who are, are suffering? Uh, you know, from mental illness as a result of the conflict? Well, well, certainly there's a professional core of psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists in, in Western Europe, but uh, this is a little bit different uh, situation. Uh, for those who have left Ukraine and have gone into neighboring countries in the fact that it's been mainly mothers and children who are uh, seeking refuge alone. So their husbands uh, are either fighting in the front lines or they need to stay if they're anywhere between 18 and and 50, they need to stay in the country to be available for military service if they're called up. Uh, So it's a very different situation where in many refugee situations, the whole family moves and at least they have that that family unit together. Uh, So uh, uh, trying to to respond to those special mental health needs of the mothers and children is uh, is something, you know, the the health professionals are working on, but it's difficult. um, uh, what uh, the a number of the Catholic organizations did immediately, uh, both for those outside the country and those displaced in the country, was to do some quick uh, psychological first aid training uh, so that those people who are used to doing humanitarian assistance, but not necessarily doing mental health, could know what to do, at least at the, uh, the immediate time when some refugees first get there uh, in an outside country or first get into the place in Ukraine where they're displaced. Uh, but now we're in the situation where people are staying many months in these temporary situations. Um, they are very worried about their husbands or other members of the family who have been left in Ukraine. And so we're trying to find the ways where we could uh, do more capacity building, uh, both uh, with the, the clergy, uh, where many people first come to if they have a human uh, problem, uh, but also to help the clergy see that that they can re- they can respond pastorally, spiritually, but also be alert to the mental health needs. And if they cannot respond to those emotional needs, then to know how to refer them elsewhere. And so our own organization is uh, doing some funding in Ukraine uh, to do that training with clergy and with seminarians who are being formed as as, uh, clergy members in the future. And also then we're looking at uh, some more intensive programs of doing uh, intensive treatment to uh, with the couples in Ukraine. uh, Once they're reunited, uh, there are different family dynamics that happen after them. Uh, The soldier has been out in the, the front lines and then comes back home. And so trying to do some more intensive therapy with them so they could restore the family balance that they had before the war started. And you were in Ukraine recently, correct? Yes, I was. And how do, how are, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the role of the clergy there. Um, how are the clergy holding up? And I guess the other question that came to mind was, is there sort of multi-faith communities coming together. You know, we, we've read about the Pope and the, the head of the uh, Orthodox Russian Church, and I'm, I'm probably hopefully describing that correctly, that, you know, there's been some friction there. And how is, how is the sort of all who are serving the faithful in Ukraine working together on this crisis? 
Well, uh, certainly there's a, a lot of um, uh, concern uh, that the, the faith-based organizations have and the religious leaders have. And there's a great deal of um, uh, of collaboration and trying to jointly respond to these needs, which are tremendous, both inside Ukraine with the displaced and then also in the, the surrounding countries. I mean, Poland alone had uh, some 5 million refugees come. Now some have returned, but others uh, continue to come. And the other countries uh, have had fewer numbers, but also have had fewer resources to respond to them. Uh, church organizations uh, have responded tremendously by receiving people, uh, housing them, uh, sometimes in, in the very homes of the priests and uh, in the convents, in the monasteries, also housing them in Catholic schools, uh, Catholic seminaries, uh, any kind of facilities that the, uh, the church has had, uh, they've been making available in Ukraine and in the surrounding countries. Countries. Uh, one uh, issue we're, we're facing now is that um, many of these refugees have been housed in schools, and uh, now school is supposed to start in September. And so uh, the people that I visited with uh, expressed a great deal of uncertainty and anxiety about what's going to happen to them if the, the schools are going to restart in Ukraine, and where will they go? Uh, will they be on the street? Of course, we tried to assure them that, that the church will continue to respond however it can. But there are many, many uh, people who now are being housed in the schools. Um, and uh, and then, uh, you know, trying to um, uh, the, the Catholic Church, of course, responds to all people, not only to Catholics. And right. in fact, in Ukraine, the Catholic Church is a minority church. So many of the refugees are Orthodox, which is the majority church in Ukraine. Uh, but then there are also many people who have no particular faith, and yet they're all being uh, received and treated very well. And I could see the big difference between uh, those who were being received by churches uh, and those that um, had to be in the, the public facilities because the public facilities didn't have the same resources that we did, that we have as churches. Um, so now we're trying to reach out to some of the, the volunteers, especially uh, through the Knights of Columbus uh, in Ukraine, uh, to reach out to those volunteers in the public facilities uh, to give extra help in terms of special food, uh, medicines, and and other kinds of special needs that the public facilities just can't supply on their own. Yeah, that really speaks to the the reach of the Catholic Church. Uh, I'm going to bring in Bruce here as we wrap this uh, part one of this conversation up. Uh, Bruce, anything you want to just add or ask uh, Monsignor Vitillo? Uh, Monsignor, when you were in Ukraine, I know you met with some of the other bishops con uh, from, from the Orthodox Church. Could you give us... Uh, a little bit of a background about what they were saying and hearing as well? Uh, the bishops that we met with were from the Greek Catholic Ukrainian Church, so they're in union with Rome. It happened to be that all of the bishops from throughout the world of this particular church, about 50 bishops, uh, were meeting right outside uh, of Ukraine at the border of Ukraine and Poland. And they asked me to come and, and share with them what my impressions were of my visit to Ukraine, but also, uh, you know, uh, talk with them about the, the working group uh, uh, for the Catholic response for Ukraine. It was a very powerful meeting. Um, uh, some of the bishops from Ukraine were there, but many from other parts of the world uh, that had very serious concerns about their, their fellow Ukrainian people. Uh, so these were from the Catholic Church, uh, but they too were, were working with, uh, with Orthodox uh, bishops and, and, and with many. 
also i i had the uh the invitation right after that trip uh to go to address the european union in brussels on the religious response for ukraine and there they had uh, for example the chief rabbi of poland who had organized similar kinds of responses um, from the jewish congregations in poland and again serving all people and we also had a muslim cleric who had done similar things in ukraine oh, great update thank you and monsignor Vitillo again he's the secretary general of the international catholic migration commission thanks for being part of this conversation we do want you to hang on the line we're going to do a second part we're going to talk to one of your colleagues here in part two bruce compton senior director of global health for the catholic health association thanks for being part of this conversation we'll talk to you momentarily for part two Uh, Again, I'm Brian Reardon, your host, and this has been another episode of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I want to thank our producer, Josh Matica, and also Brian Hartman, who engineered this episode from Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. And you can find Health Calls wherever podcasts are available. You can also find it on our website, chausa.org, under the podcast tab.